Hi, and welcome to the Republic of Middle-Aged Men. Uh, you're with your host, Tim, and I'm joined by Lachlan. Howdy. And Ruben. What up? How you going? Good, good. I have a rainforest drink, <laughs> um, which is a sugar-free mojito. So it's only 60 calories, but it's awesome. I asked for sure? a refreshing beverage. I could I could fall in love with an orangutan in there. <laughs> That's uh Lockstock, right? Lockstock, yeah. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um so it contains zero sugar lemonade, mint, lime, and rum. Man, zero sugar anything is a great way to ruin a drink generally in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I use Schweppes. Uh, I, I don't use the cheap sugar free because otherwise it is hor- horrendous. I can't deal with any of them. Not one. Mm. Not one. There you go. Well, what are you drinking then? I'm uh, on the vino tonight. So I've got a Ooh. 2018 Barossa Shiraz, which is going down nice. May or may not be my third glass, so we'll see how we uh, how we podcast tonight. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, I thought the red was from the sunburn, but it's from too <laughs> well, much wine. <laughs> Double dose. <laughs> how about you, Riven? What are you What are you drinking? Oh, yeah, I've got the gin and tonic. I've got an Aldi dry gin. I can't remember the name of it actually, but it's uh, it's good. Nice, nice. Very good. All right. Well, um, I think we're going to get straight into it tonight. We'll do a recap of what we did last week which was the noble lie um yeah that's right we went through the noble lie yeah. and roughly speaking they kind of they started to pan out um how the different classes would operate and um i think socrates got to the point where he said that the guardians would essentially live uh kind of in a barrack situation and they wouldn't have any more money than what they absolutely needed um they would just have you know basics yeah yeah, that they uh, already contain the divine metal since they were, uh, well, they've got the uh, the gold vein because I think they're saying that basically every class of person in their society had a, a different metal within them, right? That's right. The, uh, yep, yep. the, the guardians uh, would be the leaders and would have gold. And then I think they're, um, I can't remember the word they used, uh, they're not assistants. What was the, the class below them? Uh, attendants, was it, or something? I can't quite remember. Um but the sort of the soldiers sort of under them were silver and then you'd have like the merchants of uh, iron bronze or whatever it was yeah yeah they have in their hearts heavenly gold and silver given them from the gods as permanent (laughs) possessions (laughs) from when Um, they were created from the uh the the dirt of the earth and uh the divine metal was found within them from their uh noble Yeah, and they, they, they pretty much have this Morpheus moment where they get told, take this pill, and everything that's happened up until now wasn't actually real. This is yeah. all part of the process of Mother Earth birthing you, and then away you go. That was the lie, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah look, I'm actually pretty pumped for tonight. It's only a really short section, but I haven't been this pumped since uh, Thrasymachus threw down way back <laughs> in Chapter 1, you know, so... Nice. I did. I must admit, I did do a fair bit of writing uh, for the start of this chapter in my book, which um, I don't didn't do so much of in chapter or book three. So yeah, yeah it, it made hmm. me think a bit more. Yeah, That's I reckon weird. it gets meaty. 
Um, yeah, anyway, so Adamantus basically comes in with his objection saying, oh, look, really, Socrates, are these people really going to be happy? You know, like, are you really going to trust this ruling class if you're not going to allow them to uh, accumulate wealth or get any real material benefit out of it? Yeah. Yeah, I think basically saying it's like a thankless job. How, how are you really going to get people sort of signing up for this if, you know, they're not allowed to have any of life's luxuries because you're, you're basically, uh, as you put it, I think it's like kind of like slumming it like a mercenary, like hold up in the barracks yeah. with all your mates. and. But one might, one might almost describe your guardians as a set of hired mercenaries quartered in the city with nothing to, nothing to do but perpetual guard duty. Yep. Just kind of a valid argument in some sense. <laughs> yeah, it's almost more than just uh, you're not going to reward them materially. You're also giving them a pretty boring job to do. Mm. Yeah, I didn't actually notice that angle of it um, around the boring part to do. Mm. I was sort of focusing more on the lack of material gain. I didn't really think yeah. about the engagement as well. You're right. Yeah. Well, it's all, all the risk and no, none of the reward, maybe. Another way to put it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, I think Socrates kind of comes back with uh, a fair point in some senses um, because they're, they're trying to create something different to what they have now. And uh, I, I guess they're sort of using that whole sort of point that if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same results. So we're trying to do something different here. And, um, you know, if we're going to try and set this ideal city, then we have to have this sort of different sort of set of circumstances to kind of foster that to happen, I guess. Yeah, I, I kind of, um, I, I'd be interested in an alternative reaction to it, but my initial reaction to it was that Socrates pretty much came back and said, he, he almost started to say, well, yeah, 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 but this is hypothetical. Like he almost mm. retreated sort of back into, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, but this is not real type thing, which to me it seemed a little bit... Um, yeah, like, it wasn't a really substantial answer, but I think once I read through it again, I, I started to see that what he's actually doing is in this ideal society, he's shifting the, um, he's shifting the, hold on, good night, buddy, off to bed. <laughs> One of the joys he's, of being a middle-aged man, with kids. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what, he, what he's what he's doing is sort of shifting the the, the priorities of uh, of the people within the society. Um, the idea being that the, the, these guardians, um, almost like what was already said, that uh, their their goal is going to be um, going to be to maintain this society, um, and that's going to almost be their reward because that's their purpose. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I guess it's just flipping the normal doctrine because these guys are at the the tippy top of the sort of social tree, so to speak. But they're do you think also. He's, do you think he's offering it as a as an alternative to sort of what the usual course of events are? It's just, he's just offering it as because because you can see that uh, if people are up there for money and power and gain, it's it's not going to end well. Uh, well, look, I, I think they'd sort of set that agenda pretty early on that. Um, trying to just have people looking for reward by way of material wealth is not a, a healthy sort of aspiration for a society. Um, and this is definitely Socrates' sort of angle because like the whole way along, 
he's really sort of painting the picture that people should be happier with a simpler life, right? And I think he's given some concessions to Glaucon and the others because they sort of say, well, everyone else is going to argue different to you. And whilst you're happy to be uh, a, a barefoot guy with no money to rub between your fingers and like rock up to someone else's party and have them pay for you, not everyone else is. Yeah. Um, so, um, <laughs> uh, so look, I, I think that's just sort of where he's coming from. Um, it's, you know, yeah, you need to aspire to, um, you know, have that soul, uh, the reward in the soul rather than sort of a, a financial or, uh, you know, the, the wealth from gold. And, you know, this is this whole thing about, you know, going to have this aversion to, uh, you know, handling money or uh, being rewarded by gold or whatever it is. So. Do you think he's... Yeah, so I've... Oh, sorry, oh, sorry I was going to say, you do you, is your reading of that, Ruben, do you think that he is saying it's um, theoretical because the part of the argument against this idea is that people don't think that way? And so he's he's sort of defending it in... How can I say this better? Um, the leaders in his theoretical world don't think that way. So... The question is yeah, really think, valid. I think so you're saying, right. It's not, because, you, I think you're right. Because yeah. even when, when you had the lie, he's like, yeah, they might not believe it first time around, but second, third generation will. And he's also operating off this premise that they've got this education, which is going to set them up hmm. to, to think and live this way. Um, how realistic yeah. that is in reality, I don't know, but that's that's obviously what he's aiming at. Yeah, look, it would have to be a pretty uh, difficult thing to to do because, you know, it, okay, if you've got a society operating in a bubble, maybe you can maintain that, but you've got, um, you know, neighbours and other societies that are nearby living a different lifestyle and uh, you'd have to think that's going to be kind of challenging when, when people are looking over the over <laughs> the fence or you've got traders coming in from, from neighbouring cities or whatever else it may well be. He does yeah. kind of uh, go on to talk about that um, very shortly, actually. Um, I, I did highlight this bit, um, which I think is, is pretty telling. Um, we are therefore at the moment trying to construct what we think is a happy community by securing the happiness, not of a select minority, but of the whole. Now, to me, that's a concession that um, some people may not be happy, but what's important mm. is the community as a whole and the health of the community as a whole. Um, I, I, do you think is it would it be appropriate to say that he's conceding there that there's going to be some aspects of this society where people are not necessarily happy, but what's more important is the happiness of the community as a whole. I think he might be doing that, but I, there might be another answer which I I came I was thinking about when I was outside today thinking about this. That remember the start of this was him saying let's look at this larger so we can find justice in the same way that mm. if you look at words larger, you'll be able to read them easier. Yeah. So I'm wondering if he's sort of using that uh, rational to sort of say, well, at this point in time, these individual needs and disagreements don't really matter because we're trying to look at it at a larger level. Do you think he's doing that? So he's, or? You think he's saying this would be just behavior. This is a just society. An ideal society is a just society. I think that's exactly what he's saying. And I think he actually specifically sort of says, you know, it, he's looking for a society that is very ordered and that where there is disorder, there is there is a lack of harmony and that's where you get, um, you know, this sort of injustice sort of starting to bubble up through. 
Yeah, he does keep coming back to this idea of unity, doesn't he? Hmm. Yeah, look, it, it's interesting. I, I think you're right, though, too, Rubes. I mean, he's sort of conceding that it's maybe... It's certainly a flip from their current doctrine because he's basically saying the leading class is not going to be the happiest class. And that's a flip from what their current doctrine is, whereas the, the leading class obviously got more wealth, more luxury, more power. So you would expect to be the happiest, right? But that doesn't suit his argument because he's trying to sort of say, well, you know, mostly they're unjust men. And we don't want to say that they, that's the rewards of being unjust is having all the yeah. trappings of wealth and luxury and all this sort of thing. Um, so, you know, he's really trying to sort of set up this, you know, um, situation where uh, he can argue that you're going to be able to have this reward that may not be financial, but, you know, this this better society and this better overall sort of, you know, um, community um, that you're going to have out of out of going through this process but it, it does seem i have to say like it's on a bit of a tightrope though um it, it's all just going to be just perfect in order to sort of function yeah big time because i was almost thinking like if that is his concession then he's essentially saying that this perfect society wouldn't be able to exist without some level of sacrifice um, like yep. somebody's got to sacrifice something for the, essentially that you've got this entire class of people who are sacrificing something for the, um, uh, for the, for the greater good, for the, for the health, the health of the community. But I think, I think in his mind, the workaround for that is they're not sacrificing anything because what they're doing is they're fulfilling their purpose because he does sort of keep coming back to this idea mm. of, um, of telos or purpose. Mm. Yeah. And you when you're fulfilling your purpose, um, you're doing what's good for the, the society as a, as a as a greater as a greater organism kind of thing. Yeah, he's very much yeah. against that whole jack of all trades sort of person. You know, that he's very strong on the you're a carpenter, so you're a carpenter. Um, you, you're a farmer, so you're a farmer. Yeah, that's his angle. He, he doesn't want to have people being all rounders or dabbling in other people's playgrounds. Well, I think he's always talking about, you know, you need to be the expert at that whatever thing is that you trade that you're, you're doing in particular, right? And that if you're not focusing on that one thing, then it just means you're not doing everything to the best of your ability. And I think this kind of gets back to something Rubes has brought up a couple of times, which is, you know, it's all about the state and what is best for the state. Um, and, um, you know, having you perform your function to the best of your ability is better for the state, right? And that's kind of what he keeps coming back to. Um, yeah, and like, as we spoke about a week or two back, that sort of stems that whole idea that, you know, if someone's sick and they're not going to be able to perform their purpose, mm. then they may as well sort of die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, because they're not going to be, they're going to be happy anyway. Because they pretty much like wrap up this like little paragraph they're talking about this stuff on and saying something along the lines of like, um, the guardians shouldn't be working towards their own personal happiness um, but that of the state and in doing so will achieve the the greatest for all of the classes in proportion to what nature assigns them um so they, which is interesting too because they, they sort of do have this um you know there is a class system and he sort of doesn't want to disrupt the class system too much aside from flipping the people from the front of the class to the back of the class you know that he's okay with that but um it, it's it's a really interesting sort of philosophy. I mean, we were talking before too about sacrifice and in some senses, I think in any society at this time, 
there are members of the society who are having to sacrifice whether they want to or not. And usually it's the guys at the, the bottom of the food chain, right? Who are probably slogging away for the benefit of all those at the top of the food chain. Mm. And, um, it's just interesting that he's flipped that doctrine and he's got the guys at the top of the food chain, food chain who are going to be doing the sacrificing, but it seems like the ones who are going to benefit most are probably the middle class. Because yeah, I think like the merchants are just going to be like, man, this is like a dream. You know, we've got <laughs> these guys who are like slaving away for the greater good. Like, who cares, right? Because they're doing all that <laughs> shit and like keeping us, you know, looked after. We kind of do our thing and um, we're still all about that money, money. And those guys, they just want their minimum minimum wage and we're just getting fat off the land here in the middle. <laughs> so, so I do sort of wonder how like perfect that would be if you're going to wind up with essentially like a really overstuffed middle class. Yeah. it's a good point. I think it's smart though, because you need that thriving economy for the society to do well. Sure. But... Um, and to ensure that everybody can get paid, um, you know, what they're due mm. and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, it's probably, he's probably just well, keep the state a necessary there. evil. Well, it'd keep the cost of running the state down, which, which let's all face it. That's a big problem. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, look, it's a, it's an interesting way to think about it. And look, I, I don't think you could ever sort of have this experiment, which is the, the, the interesting part of it. It's all going to have to remain kind of hypothetical because I don't know. I mean, uh, it'd be interesting to sort of see if, um, if a, if a country tried to adopt that kind of philosophy, um, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't of, even know whether it's ever been tried. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't think so because, because it's so unattractive to be that leading class and that's, I don't know. I, I mean, we say it's unattractive. It, it, it's probably not right if you're bought into the doctrine that they're trying to establish and it has given you a purpose for your life and a meaning for the work that you do, right? So it may be really fulfilling work, right? Hard work, but it might be really fulfilling because you feel like you're doing something that's bigger than yourself because, you know, this, this is the job that you're sort of doing. And so... And you would, um, you would assume they'd be receiving a lot of honour too, like... Definitely. Would, would this not then be the equivalent or similar to someone who works for a charity? You know, I know lots of people that work for different charities and, you know, the, the position they hold within that charity, if they were working within a private organisation, would earn a heap more money. Um, but they're not yep. doing it for the money. They're doing it because they care about the cause. You know, maybe it's similar to that. Yeah, I mean, look, because um, I don't know what charity this this person you're talking about works for, but I know like with the Salvation Army, for example, um, they all get the same pay no matter what job they do. So if you're the CEO, you get paid the same amount as the, you know, somebody else who's sort of down the, you know, way down the ranks or something like that. Yeah. Um, because it's about trying to achieve the greater overall sort of you know, benefit for the organization and obviously for the, the beneficiaries of the charity, um, which is pretty fairly unique sort of situation. As far as I'm aware, I'm not aware of too many businesses that operate in that sort of fashion, but, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So what kind of parody there. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right, cool. 
Um, so after they're sort of talking about all this stuff, which they more or less all agree on, um, they move to talk on uh, about some new evils that the Guardians may well face um, and that they need to be watchful of, which is the influence of poverty or wealth. Yeah, I um, thought this bit was really interesting too. Yeah. I don't um, think I agree with him. He's, um, in essence, what he's saying here is um, you've got to look out for poverty and you've got to look out for wealth. Um, and I had to write it down, but I can't find it. Um, but he's basically saying that um, poverty... Someone else go. I can't find my notes. Well, is this the um, the quote? Uh, wealth, I said, and poverty. Um, the one is the parent of luxury and indolence and the other of... Uh, meanness and viciousness and both of discontent um yeah he pretty much about, um he starts to talk about a uh he a uses a potter as well as an example um and the potter he was sort of saying you know if they become rich do they still take care with their craft um or their art and they both agree that uh he wouldn't because he's already wealthy so he doesn't need the money so much he's going to take less care and he's going to become you know, indolent, and the art deteriorates. Um, but if he also falls into poverty, they're saying, well, he won't be able to afford the tools that he needs in order to do the job, and he won't... And I, I must admit, I do dis disagree with this statement as well. Um, he won't work equally within himself or pass on the skills to his sons or work equally well, which is a bit of a, you know, uh, a jump to take, to be honest. Um, yeah, that's where I, I sort of kind of got the, came to the same conclusion. He's basically saying that if you're too wealthy, it makes it makes you basically decadent and idle, and yeah. you have a desire for novelty. And if you're too poor, um, you don't have the required assets to do your job properly, and it can lead to revolution. Um, I thought that was interesting. I, I, I'm kind of more sympathetic to his arguments in relation to the poor. I think there's some truth in that. Like if if you're too poor, uh, you can't dig yourself out of the hole. Like if you yeah. can't even go and buy a spade to then go and dig holes in the highway or something. You know what I mean? Like that can get to yeah. a point. And that and, and I think it does. My book uses the term revolution, which I'm not sure whether yours does. No, but I think no. there's some truth in that. Yeah. Um, but it's more the uh, it's more the wealthy part to, to me. I was like, I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, do you do you find that an artist that does really well and gets really wealthy loses their ability or their desire to do more, or a rich person think, doesn't doesn't necessarily they, work less hard? No, but I, I think they're just sort of saying like if you didn't need the money, you you didn't need to like it's not like your your balls are on the line and that you've really got to be like nailing it every time, and you might just become a bit more middling. I don't think they're saying that you're going to like be completely useless or anything like that. But, but you're not going to keep same... trying to excel at your craft, right? Yeah, but isn't this the same argument against that some people use against um, the what they call that bloody thing? The um, where everyone gets paid a certain amount of money. What do they call that? Uh, universal basic income. That's it. UBI. Yeah. 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 Like the argument with that is if you have a UBI, then you lose your meaning in life because you don't need to go to work every day and do your craft. Yeah. yeah that's, so that's something that people talk about even now. So hmm. I don't know, like in our society for, for trades in Australia, there's awards, different trades earn different pay based on that award. Yep. 
if you want to earn more than that, you have to start your own business uh, or just be really good and work for someone who's willing to pay you more than the award. Mm. Um, but there's a standard that if you're this qualification, you get paid this much per hour uh, based on the award. So do you think it's he's kind of alluding to some sort of system like that where if, um, you know, you've got someone who only earns a dollar a day, well, that's not going to cut it. But if they're earning a year's wage compared to every other trade in a day, well, are they going to work for 50 years? I mean, musicians are like that. How many musicians hit it big and then by the time they're 50, you've never heard from them for five years because they're just chilling for the rest of their life because they, they don't need to do it anymore. They still play their music and stuff, but they're not pumping out albums. Yeah. I have to say, I think what he's championing is maintaining the status quo in that he wants people to stay in the classes that they're in. So I didn't think of it that way. If you're a middle-class potter, he wants you to stay a middle-class potter. Um, if you're a low-class, I don't know, um, you know, farmer or something like that, right, he wants you to stay there. And um, because your craft is determined, like the, I think as far as he's concerned, like the die has been cast and you have a role to perform and your role fits into this place in society and we don't want you getting more wealthy that you're going to be sort of moving into a different class because you won't be able to do your task that you should be doing. I think you're right. So his, pri- his priority is stability, which is why he kind of just ignores the fact that, I mean, I think of it in terms of business owners, like a business owner that does really well and makes a lot of money, yep. they don't just stop. A lot of them don't just stop. They keep working. There are people mm-hmm. out there that keep working no matter what. Now, the more money they have, sure. the more they want to earn. So yeah. I, that's where I sort of thought, no, that doesn't sound quite right. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that might be his uh, his goal, his priority there. I think you're on it. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that, but I think you're right. Because um, I, I think you're right, Ruben. That most people who get wealthy, my experience is a lot of them. It's not it's not true for all of them, but a lot of I've met some very wealthy people. I've I've met um, several multimillionaires. Um, I've met people in the top 100 wealthiest people in Australia list. They don't really seem to care about money. They're they're just hyper-productive people who love doing new things and who are generally quite intelligent and just, you know, they they see rest as a waste of time and why not go and and do all these things and build all these businesses and do all these projects. And um, They, They probably didn't inherit the money then. Correct. Correct. They, they didn't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I won't speak directly of one, but absolutely did not. Absolutely made mm. themselves. And, um, you know, meeting that person was awesome. Um, mm. And, uh, but, you know, so to me, it has to be what you're saying, Lachlan, because mm. I think people who do excel, naturally they go up and, I mean, we can yeah. get into hierarchies and all that sort of stuff about that, but yeah, ascender dominance hierarchy. <laughs> Look, I, I don't think he'd have a problem with somebody um, like an individual. He's just talking about the masses here. Mm. So, um, you know, if there's somebody Broad who... Broad strokes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if there's an individual who busted their ass and was sort of moving their way up in the, in the thing, I don't think there'd be like an issue that, you know, you're supposed to sort of fit in this niche. But as long as you didn't have like a whole class of bakers or whatever, um, I don't know, subtly 
striking it rich or whatever and basically <laughs> uh, we're getting out of the baking game and then they're like oh we don't have any bakers left in our society and there's not enough bread to get around i think that's what he's thinking like that that's sort of where yeah. his mentality yeah. is yeah well my book's wording is um the one produces luxury and idleness and the desire for novelty so i think what he's pointing at there is if you had a did have a class where uh, we'd see it today where you have a really rich person and their mm. kids don't have to work so they yeah. don't and that's that whole you know I thought it was a really interesting term desire for novelty so they just go mm. and look for the new thing or the fun thing and they're not really any use to society someone like I don't know what Paris Hilton or <laughs> you know you, well, let's yeah. face it what, what good is she I'm sure yeah, she's a nice person she's got her own cooking show now have you seen that <laughs> well that's why I thought of a name because um, I think my wife was watching it and she was cracking up but it's hopeless just, yeah like, it made me feel like a a master chef watching that show <laughs> I was like my goodness like if that's not an example of of just too much money and too much decadence I don't know what is mm-hmm. so I think at this point in time um, Adamantus is kind of uh, challenging a little bit again and he's sort of saying well Socrates if you can have this society where you're um you know, you're not really interested in money. Um, how are we going to defend ourselves against uh, our neighbours? You know, if um, we've got some wealthy states that we, we come up against, if we're deprived of the sinews of war, which I thought was a rather nice statement that they used. Hmm. Yeah, I, well, I'm back on board with Socrates here. I think I think he nails, I think his counter-argument is excellent. I'm with you. I'm with you. you All right, this let's, bit to me? Let's, let's go into it. So he basically says, um, oh, there's a couple of stages, but initially he's just like, well, um, our people, they don't care about money. They don't care about wealth. They don't care about power. And all they do is train to defend the state. Um, and he, so he basically says, I guess he's basically saying they're going to be the best of the best because they have one job and they do it and they excel at it. So we don't have anything to worry about. And then Adamantus sort of correctly comes back at him and says, okay, yeah, but what about numbers? I mean, just because our state's perfect doesn't mean every all the ones around us are. What happens if they gang up? Mm. Um, or what happens if they've got money to, to, to buy mercenaries or whatever? Um, and I, I really I really enjoyed his little answer to that. Do you guys remember that bit? Mm. I do, I do. Let me find it. Well, basically, he's sort of saying that you know, if, if they found themselves under attack, um, they could get a neighbouring state on side um, and just point out to them that we don't permit our people to retain uh, the riches in our own state. So if you help us in battle, um, you can keep all the spores of war that we're going to get from these rich fat cats that we're going to uh, going to take take down. Yeah, and, uh, uh, I did like that bit. But before he hits that bit, he goes, oh, don't you think that one boxer in perfect training oh, yeah. is easily a match for two men who are not boxers but rich and fat? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, when you hear that, everyone's like, yeah, that's true. Like, you take some dude that just trains to fight and you put him up against two fat, rich dudes, two, yep. three, four, it doesn't matter. He's coming out on top. We all know that. We all know that's going to be right. We all know that he's winning. Yeah. No, it's true. Um, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's right. You're right. After that bit, they sort of they go into, um, and yeah, he makes a really poignant point on that because I think he's like, yeah, all right, but you're mm. thinking of our state versus their state, but our mm. state is one, 
And he goes, those states, you're, you're thinking about them as one, but they're not. And yeah, then Adam is kind of like, like, how so? And he's like, well, because they've got the rich and the poor. They're not working together. And then he basically says, and I, this is a bit that blew my mind. I thought this was so good. He basically says, so all you would have to do is go to the offended party within that state and say to them, we'll fight your battles. Maybe it's not such a good idea for you to stay loyal to your state. Hmm. Um, and then once we're done, like like Lachlan was saying, we're not going to take your money. We're just going to win this war and then you're free to do whatever you want. And I'm just like, that's, I thought that was really clever. But hmm. the thing that really rang a bell for me is that's basically what countries did to each other for like the last hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's, that's what the Nazis did to the, to communist to Russia pre-revolution. And it's basically what the communists were trying to do to, to, to Germany um, pre-World War Two. Yeah. Um, like that I think whole... the only sort of hole yeah, in go. his argument, though, is that, you know, um, you know, going to war is expensive. And yeah. normally in, in those times, you're relying on the spores of war, I think, to fill the coffers of the state because more or less, you know, the fact you've gone and had to... Look, I, I suppose he's got the get-out-of-jail-free card here in the fact that these guys are all on a um, a base pay. They're not paying mercenaries. And so maybe they've got the costs under control. So it's just kind of like normal operating costs for them. But um, I don't know. I kind, it, of, I kind of saw another hole in it, which I wasn't sure about. Um, but he's basically saying those other states are divided, but our state is one. Mm. Yet he's got these really regimented, you can't, you shall not pass sections of society where you sort of can't, it's very hard to move in between these stratas. And it's like, well, I, I think, I, I don't think it's quite as clear cut that you're, I mean, yeah, his ideal is that it's, it's unified, but he's got a really regimented structure, like class structure. Mm -hmm. um, and then he's looking at these other states and going, oh, yeah, yeah, they're not unified. And I'm like, I'm not quite sure that, um, you could say that about I, your own state. Well, I guess like the only thing he's got going for him in that sort of sense is that, you know, they're trying to make that point that the the guardians would not look down upon someone who was of cast of bronze or whatever it was, right? Um, every citizen is a citizen of the state and all are to be valued for basically what they contribute, right? Um whether everyone's going to feel that way, that, that there's a question mark there. And you can understand well, maybe the, the guardians were like fully bought into this doctrine and are like living and breathing at night. So I could see them being in there, but like maybe the wealthy merchant classes might be like, I'm a peg above you guys here with my luxury <laughs> and you know, all this other stuff. So I don't know. Well, I mean, I think we don't have to answer this question right away, but do you think the way that he's constructing this state, do you think he understands, like, the, fundamentally, do you think he understands human nature or not? Uh, you know, you, you raise a really good point. I mean, and, and I think Socrates is sort of like uh, in a bit of a bubble because he's a an idealist coming from a different point of view than most of these guys. And um, I think most of these fellows that he's talking to are uh, aristocracy. They've got some money and, um, and he doesn't. 
and he's coming from a diff very different viewpoint to, to than where they are. And not that that means that his viewpoint's not interesting and uh, relevant or anything, but um, I just think uh, there is a certain amount of just idealism to the way that he kind of presents this that um, uh, makes it all sort of seem possible, but maybe a bit counter to how society, well, certainly evident that it's different to how their society was functioning at that time. Yeah, that's a good observation. But I think that's true of anyone that tries to think of any sort of new society, right? All-encompassing, yeah. If anyone that comes up with some, some kind of all-encompassing system, they're inevitably going to run up against the, the finitude of their own intellect, you know what I mean? Like it's just like that whole centralised control thing. I think we sort of know that that just doesn't work. Mm. Well, I think it doesn't. You have to convince other people of it these days. Yeah, well, we don't do enough looking at history, do we? <laughs> um, yeah, but my thoughts on this bit were, like, it, it just made me think, because, like, we, we, we talked about the noble lie, and then we talked about unity, and then he goes on to say, the, a strong united country can undermine another country by going to their lower classes and, and sort of... Um, you know, and feeding them and causing disunity in the other countries. And what that may really made me thought, think of was um, that whole dynamic between Germany and Russia in the pre-World War II uh, period, because you kind of had, because Germany was united. Um, and it made me think about that noble, noble lie too, because Socrates kind of has this idea of this noble lie and it's all, it was kind of like, almost like mother earth and you are the blood of mother earth. And to me, it just started to sound really similar, similar to sort of kind of like that, um, that myth that the Nazis were running as well with the, um, like their, their blood myth, their blood and soil idea. Aryan blood mm. and whatnot. Mm. Yeah. Um, they used that to unify it, to really sort of unify their people. And the, I th the... you go, sorry. Yeah, no, no, and, and to me, I'm, I'm sort of, I, I'm not suggesting that, you know, the, the Nazis read Plato's Republic and they're like, oh, gee, there's a good idea. It's probably something that sort of uh, developed more organically. But to me, I could sort of see their their myth. They sort of had a, a kind of a, 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 a unifying myth or, a, or a, a lie as well. They may not have seen it as a lie, but... Well, that's kind of like what we were talking about last week with China, right? Yeah. Yeah, look. Yeah, I think and, the thing they may not all agree with it, but there's a, a level of desperation there, though, too, just because of the uh, economic sort of situation they were in as well. Because oh, yeah. they were they were broke, and uh, there's a lot of poverty and stuff at that time, and people were desperate. And yeah. you know, when you give people hope in in a in a noble lie, that's probably a time when people are going to buy into it, right? Yeah, exactly. When they're when they're desperate, yeah, he, so he didn't need generations to convince people of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he didn't. Hmm. All right. Well, um, where to from here? Oh, um, I also like the analogy about uh, on um, the enemies saying uh, who would choose to fight against a lean, wiry dog. Yeah. Rather than with dogs <laughs> yeah. on their side against fat and tender sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny too. Absolutely. Um. Um. Yeah, so I was just going to say, I'd interject. I don't know how we're going for time, but then they go into a conversation about what kind of legislation should be written, which I kind of want to talk about. But 
Boy, is um, that about the music part? No, well, they go um, on to... I think, well, uh, sorry, yeah, just, just before they that. get onto that, Ribs, I think they, they sort of yeah, very quickly talk about, um, I think, expansion because they're, because they're talking about war and they're just sort of saying that more or less, you know, I think one of the reasons for war a lot of the times at that point was because they needed to expand their lands or whatever it may well be. Um, so they just talk about what size their state should be and what it should not go beyond. Um, they used a kind of... Yeah, you're right. They do, airy, they do airy come to state. a little... Bit yeah. of a conclu- they come to sort of a bit of a conclusion there, don't they? Mm. It's more or less like it could increase so far as is consistent with unity, which... What does that mean? <laughs> is it like, guess, oh, if they agree, then they can join us, but if they don't, then they can get nicked? Like, is that basically what he's saying? I, I think it was like, as long as they could maybe control their noble lie, you know what I mean? Because if you're bringing in people of other lands and stuff into your thing and you've got to bed them into your philosophy, that's probably going to be too hard. So if you, if you took over some population that was like equal size to your own, how are you going to maintain the the lie? That's a really good point. Um, like how, how would you, from a mythology perspective, let's say you've had hmm. these city wars for like three generations and then all of a sudden you make allies with this other city and you bring them into the fold. Like, let's say that that entire other city comes into the fold without any problems there. How do you align that with, uh, well, you know, they're, they're now part of us, but they weren't before. I think that happened thousands of times in the in the history of, like, dominating societies and things like that mm. in, in human history. But, um, yeah, look, it, it's probably more challenging... Um, just given the extent of this lie. Um, but certainly, I mean, you, you've had that in, in uh, loads of historical sort of situations where basically, you know, uh, you know, cast aside whatever your previous religion was, you know, you're now one of ours. And so you, you know, these are what you're going to sort of follow. Mm. And I don't know, maybe it follows a similar kind of thing where it's like kind of like we, we know we'll get uh, two generations in and we'll be sweet or, uh, <laughs> or if it's not quite so calculated, I'm not too sure. I think you've got the same question, um, not even in terms of conquest, but in terms of um, immigration. Um, like if sure. you bring large numbers of people to come live within your borders, how do you integrate that? Mm. Yeah, well, right. Completely I, I, think, yeah. I think everyone would agree that there's some level of in- integration is required. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so really, uh, from that point in time, I think Tim, like you're talking about the music, yeah, they, they did more or less kind of like loop back to what we talked about in, in book three. Uh, and then they sort of had this sort of decree. I've got the quote here, which I can read out if you like. Uh, he does. He goes back to the education thing, doesn't he? He keeps banging on about it. Yeah. 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 With, um, the, the, the duty of degrading the offspring of the guardians with inferior and elevating them to the rank of guardians, um, the offspring of the lower classes were naturally superior. The intention was that in the case of citizens, generally each individual should be put to the use of which nature intended um, one to work on. And then every man would do his own business and be one and not many. And so the whole city would be one and not many. And they all sort of agree and move on from there. <laughs> I, I Yeah, he does make a... Yeah, oh, go. sorry, go. No, you go, Ruben. That's fine. Um, he makes a really interesting 
assertion sort of to the tail end of that where he says um a country cannot alter without major political and social change um the start their style of literature so basically what he's saying is if you do if you if you do change uh, i'm guessing he lumps in there with the education if you're going to change the style of your entertainment and your education you can't do that without huge um political and social change it's funny um, that you point that out, Ruben, because that's what I underlined in my book. It says, uh, when modes of music change, the fundamental laws of the state always change with them. Yeah, it's like that whole culture of following uh, politics. Yeah, is politics downstream from culture mm. or is culture downstream from politics? Ruben, was it you who a while ago was talking to me about music? Um, I'll explain. So um, I, I've gotten into some pretty weird music over the years. And I was getting into some tribal music about a year ago. And um, I remember, I think it was you, Ruben, that you were saying there was a study or someone was looking at that if you get disenfranchised with your current culture, then people tend to flock to their um, folk music. Was it was it you I was talking about that with? I, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, that um, wasn't... Yeah, I, I didn't... I only sort of came across that idea in passing. It was um, uh, a bloke called E. Michael Jones who runs a Catholic magazine and he's written like a million books. Um, that was one of his ideas. And he sort of basically said that w when you see people becoming yeah disenfranchised or disconnected from their culture, there's a tendency to return back to folk music. Mm. And the only reason I thought of it was because, yeah, you were, you, were, you played for me some sort of uh, almost was it Celtic or... Um, Norse music, I think. Yeah, Norse music, but it was it was sort of modernised. Yeah, and I have heard that there's sort of this. Um, once again, only in very in passing, there's sort of this sort of subculture that's kind of risen up. This sort of pagan, trying to go back to the the old Norse gods type sort of stuff that sort of come up in in Europe in the last couple of years. I don't know how true that is or how influential it is, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Oh, it's definitely there. It's definitely on the rise, but um, I'm not sure if it's a direct link to culture. But the that music. that made me think about that. Like I wrote in my book, um, is this why when someone becomes disenfranchised with their culture, they seek different music? Oh, you mean like the whole Marilyn Manson thing? Yeah, or even um, yeah, like the disenfranchised teenager, the yeah. school shooter type gear. They're all sort of into that that music, and they kind of say, oh. You know, like back when they said to Marilyn Manson, your music turned them into monsters. And he's like, no, you guys turn him into monsters. He just likes my music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's a good point. And I, I, I must admit, I sort of skipped over that one. But, um, you know, they do seem like pretty concerned with the influence of music, didn't they? And, uh, you know, that it actually does make some sense there in in the, the context you laid out, Tim. Well, once again, like... I remember my parents and my grandparents particularly really <clears throat> smashing me sometimes about some of the music I used to listen to about how that's not good for you and it's going to like... And rightfully so, think. mate. You were into Green Jelly. <laughs> <laughs> that's not all I was into. But um, <laughs> like even now, I'm sure if people saw my music tracks on my phone, there'd be some raised eyebrows for sure. Um, but, you know, it's... I like all different types of music because I'm moody, but... Um, you're right. Like I, I think in high school when when we were coming out of the '80s, it was like what Brian 
Brian Stewart or whatever his name was, um, friggin' Cliff Richard, all that different stuff, suddenly went to bands like Nirvana and Soundgarden, uh, suddenly went to Metallica and, you know, Nine Inch Nails, um, System of a Down, and then out comes hip-hop, like completely different culture, bang, here's some hip-hop. Um, well, it no, was like always it, there, but, but it was just a different culture than what you were listening to, right? Well, as a as an Aussie in the nineties, with yeah. like, internet yeah. being a new thing, sure, it just it yeah. came out of nowhere. Like, just the, the and um, you know, meeting some people as you do as you get older, who are only five or ten years younger than you, they talk about like Snoop and all that sort of stuff in the same way that I talk about Nirvana and Soundgarden. Of just mm. like, you know, it's the golden oldies almost. Um, yeah, and it's just a polar opposites in what the messages of that music was, like the messages of of what hip hop was, like listening to Tupac and and Warren G and Snoop, as I used to do when I was like seventeen or eighteen. You listen yeah. to that message compared to the message of Soundgarden or Metallica. Okay, sure, they've got sex, drugs in common, but <laughs> the rock and roll ain't there for both, but. This is a very, very different style and, and different message in a lot of that stuff. So I think it's true. I think true. you'll find that they're both running at the same time. It's just... Uh, I was exposed at different times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Maybe. more of a parallel thing, right? But they're still uh, separate and... in a way. Like, uh, you can't say that Metallica's culture is the same as Snoop's culture. No, absolutely not. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. yeah. But they're, but but they're the parallel in yeah. different societies, right? You know? Yeah, that's the real question. If you had an entire society follow one, would it be different from an entire society that sort of was imbued with the other? Yeah, because um, I mean, what I, what I, come from R&B and uh, soul music originally, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you follow that sort of track through and, you know, your sound gardens or whatever are going to come f- following through from, like, the Rolling Stones or something like that, and it's sort of developed into, into yeah, that. Pink Floyds and Led Zeppelins. Two different yeah. parallel tracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... My book lists it as music and literature, and what what got got me thinking of too. I was, I was read a couple of articles a few months back about some of the CIA released documents. Um, I'm not going conspiracy; like these are actual things that have been released by the CIA that they've essentially admitted. But they were really involved in promoting modern art, like back in the '60s, because the okay. whole idea apparently the whole idea apparently was like Russia is backward and they're not free. So the idea was we want to present this idea that Americans are free and creative. Um, so they actually funded uh, like modern art magazines and essentially were, were pretty heavily involved in um, the promotion of modern art. Things like uh, Jackson Pollock, you know, the, the, the painting, you know, a lot of that, that stuff that sort of came out of America in that era, which you kind of look at and go, why is that art? Mm. Well, one of the reasons is I think they... they they did sort of kind of press that as as a, a motif of freedom, as a, as a, a general as a, a representation of freedom, because that's the idea they wanted to push. So you can, I think you can kind of see what I, I actually think that Socrates is right in, in some capacity in this, because um, I, I think that governments and I think powerful people probably realise that culture is a way to shift a society like and if you do change if you if you change the art of a culture you will eventually shift the society i I don't think there's any way to deny that yeah i don't want to sound like alex jones but you look at the left and their influence over culture um 
far out. Like that, that gets talked about a lot uh, at the moment. Um, I was listening to Prager oh, well, talk yeah. to someone about that the other day, and you know, he was like, "Look at everything that has a left bias compared to what has a right bias in mainstream at the moment. It's very, very heavily towards the left." And um, you know, that, that's some, a smart uh, move. That's the, a smart move by the, those people to take control of those things if they can. Well, that's um, I don't know if anyone listening or if you guys are aware of um, Andrew Claven, who he he's a he's a podcaster now, but he was a, a Hollywood writer for he was an author and then a Hollywood writer, and he, he's got a good. If you just type in Andrew Claven, why Hollywood or something, he's got a, this whole interview about how he was essentially railroaded out of Hollywood at a certain point because his political opinions became unpalatable. Um, so you can sort of see that there are people who realize the power of culture and, and are happy to try and shift it by removing certain sides of certain arguments. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. So I, Yeah, I think he's onto something for sure. I think we can all admit that like, if you can influence culture, then you obviously will influence rules, you'll influence society's opinion i think that's a sensible statement yeah no absolutely rubes just getting um back i was trying to look this up while you're talking about it since you mentioned the uh, the cia and i just thought this is a kind of a funny um um tweet that i read it was uh i love that the mainstream media position is yes the cia did bad things in the 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s <laughs> 2000s <laughs> But no one was ever prosecuted and there were no reforms. So now they don't do bad things today, you conspiracy theorists. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> I had to crack up at that one. <laughs> yeah. Well played. Yeah. That's very good. Okay, um, so look, let's move on past the music part. Um, and education, I, I think. Do Anything else in education that we need to cover? No, he just says it again. It all, it all. Well, actually, it kind of does lead into the next bit. But he's like, yeah, if you've got people with good foundations, a good education, then you're going to have a good society, essentially. And then he goes on to talk about legislation, which is all saying. I don't know how we're going for time because I, I really sort of wanted to drill down into this. Yeah, look, I'm happy to dig into it. And um, you know, we we haven't really got a pub for lots of us. Uh, yeah, that's true. Subjects, so that. we can take a little bit of that time. Um, I've right at the start of this. I've underlined um, a sentence and I've written continuous improvement because I was doing a leadership course this year and Kaizen, Kaizen. It, it keeps pushing the continuous improvement as being this new way of thinking. And um, <laughs> listen to this. Like, no, it's not uh, so, so, and without divine help, said Adimentus, they will go on forever making and mending their laws and their lives in the hope of attaining perfection. Absolutely. Continuous improvements. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- th- I found this part really um, interesting. Essentially, I-, I don't know whether I understood it fully, but they go into the, they start talking about, after talking about education, they start talking about, well, what kind of legislation would be put in place? And Socrates, and they- they're talking about just general stuff like respecting your elders and things like that. And Socrates is like, I wouldn't legislate yeah. that stuff. Because if people mm-hmm. are edu- educated, then they'll just act right. Um, and then it sort of bleeds into this really interesting analogy. Because he then goes on to say, well, what about things like manufacturing contracts, assaults, mm. you know, legal action and things like that? 
Mm. And then he makes this, Socrates makes this statement in response to all those sorts of things. He goes, well, good men need no orders. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And it, it rang a bell. And I don't know, I, I don't think there's a direct correlation, but um, I don't know what you'd be interested in, what you think of this, Tim, but how there's that passage in the Bible where it says the law essentially is not for the righteous, like a righteous man. The law is not there for the righteous. But is it a similar idea? Yeah. Um, I hadn't really thought about that. I'll stow it and give it some thought and get back know. to me. I don't know. <laughs> the, 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 the Anglican in me says, but no one is righteous, therefore the law is for all of us. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, that it, it only has to define it for those people that don't already understand it. Um, and... Uh, you know how much of a fan I am of Mr. Peterson. His Bible talks, he kind of talks about, um, this is his explanation, it's, it's not necessarily mine, but he, his explanation of the Ten Commandments is speaking into existence those things which were already known by good people. So that the Ten Commandments were like, they'd already sort of started happening. Um and yeah, like they commandment, observed, do, thou shalt not murder kind of yeah. thing. Thou shalt not murder. Well, a good person, you don't need to tell them not to murder someone. Yeah. That's right. But to but to inform a society, well, then let's put it in stone. This is unchanging. This must always be the rule. You cannot murder, right? And so he was like, that, that rule already existed, but as leaders, it was defined in writing on stone and now that's that's the law. So is that kind of what you're getting at? Is there, he's saying I think so. They should already know it, but we're going to define it. So, well, he but then they, goes. They, they then they're not though. Well, yeah. Sorry, uh, you go. Well, I was just going to say. I, I guess maybe if you want to draw a, a parallel there, maybe they have sort of set out the commandments right in, in you know similar sort of terms, and sort of said like these are our base rules that we're going to have, but because we've got these these basic rules and if people follow those basic rules then we shouldn't have to spell out all the other rules because they'll already be good people and we'll have common sense and i think following their philosophy of sort of um, order and harmony will naturally find an order and harmony by following those sort of let's say commandments um yep. from the beginning right um and that's why they don't need to sort of get into sort of like legislating that because they're like you know what they'll work out the rules in a fair and equitable manner over time because they're fair and equitable people. It's kind of, I think that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what he's trying to, what what he wants for this perfect society. But then what I found interesting was he then, they then list sort of this alternative and they're like, because if you don't do that, if you don't have people that can't make these decisions for yourself, what you end up with, and this is what you were quoting, Tim, what you end up with is a situation where they are, they're just trying to, legislate and legislate expecting to achieve some kind of perfection um they they will lead lives like invalids who lack the restraint to give up a vicious way of life now that sounded a bit cryptic i have to read that a few times before i realized what you're saying but (laughs) basically they've gone back to that doctor analogy uh, and they've looked at from a society as a whole a whole and he's basically saying um if your society is sick and the people are in, in, in the society are sick, it doesn't matter how much you legislate, you're not going to solve 
that sickness. Um, and he said, it's, it's kind of like somebody who, <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to, I'll simplify it the, the way that I found it amusing, but it's basically like a fat dude who keeps shoving Cheetos in his mouth. <laughs> and then he goes to the doctor and goes, oh, I need vitamins and weight loss drugs. Yeah. But then won't stop shoving Cheetos in his mouth. It doesn't matter yeah. how many drugs or how many medicines or how many things that he uses to try and get get on top of his health problems. Unless mm. the dude starts exercising and eating less, he, it's yeah. never going to be a solution. Yeah, you're so right. it's kind of the, the alternative to what he's saying is you need educated people who do the right thing and have the right character because the alternative is you're just going to end up with a government who or a state that's just going to legislate down to the finest thing to try and control everything and that you can't fix the problem. And I think in that sense, and you know how I said earlier, I'm not sure whether Socrates understands human nature. I think on this point, I think he understands it perfectly. Yeah, I, I, in Tim's and my version, um, they actually use that phrase that they're trying to doctor the issues um, and just, yeah, basically keep prescribing different remedies to try and fix the problems. And uh, I think they compared it as being as uh, futile as cutting off the head of the Hydra. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I thought was uh, rather cute for the era. Um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely makes sense though, right? Um, and, and they all seem to sort of share that frustration of probably experience that that's what they see all the time. That's what happens, you know? somebody gets ripped off down at the Agora and then some bloody new rules coming out to try and like deal with that situation. Cause you got one idiot out of, out of a hundred or something. So, yep. you know, haven't, haven't we all been there before? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I just thought that was a really like a either or kind of mm. dialectic, like these are your two options. Um, and I think, I think it's true. I think you can't fix the maladies of the human of human nature with law you can't do it yeah yeah so i was sort of really on board with that bit yeah well makes a lot of sense to me too um is that basically um, near where we call uh, it or? i've got i've got more that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> what i thought was really interesting is what it, I, yeah he then goes on from that and he's like oh okay but um and then they sort of, they, they went into this little diatribe about what that kind of state looks like. And they're like, yeah, okay. So a state that does that, they reject somebody who tells them the truth because they're happy to live mismanaging the state because they mm. enjoy having that power and writing those legislation. So if someone comes to them and says, no, nah, this is not your problem, he basically says they ignore them and they only mm. want to hear from people who... Um, here's the, here's, I'll try to find the, the, the quote. Um, they will honor as a great, as great and profoundly wise men, anyone who leaves them to their mismanagement, but flatters them agreeably and gives them pleasure by running their errands. Basically what <laughs> he's saying is so if your mindset is you can, you're smart enough to legislate out all the problems in society, the only kind of people you're going to have around you are people that suck up to you, people that do mm. what you want. And when I read that, I'm like, if that's not a description of a totalitarian state, I don't know what is. Mm. <laughs> what did you I, I, like? And this is, I think I said to you before the show, am I reading too much into this? <laughs> I don't think I, so. I think, um, I, I think you're making an absolutely valid point. I, I, I don't know about um, 
totalitarian, but certainly uh, like an uh, just total bureau, bureaucratic machine in the sense of, uh, you know, um, box ticking legislators and uh, all of that sort of thing. Um, I think you're on, on brand there for sure. Well, he, um, what do you call it? He, he goes, he's pretty strong with his language. He's like, um, for I think you will agree that this is what cities are doing, which mismanage their affairs, but forbid on pain of death, any alteration in the establishment, in the established con- constitution. So he's basically saying, um, if anyone tries to change it, they're basically threatened with death, which once again comes back to, like, you got to remember, I guess you got to remember that Plato wrote this on Socrates' behalf. So Plato yeah. knows that Socrates dies later because essentially says things that the state don't like. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if he slipped this in there kind of as, as a jab <laughs> to those to those sort of um, legally minded... Speaking the truth. But I'm not sure yeah. if he is. I mean, if you... What's a... Um, not a spin of, like being a trader, right? What's what's the technical... I don't know. Trader. Trader. Well, yeah. Trader. Like traitor. things or traitor? Like a traitor. So if you look at like the uh, Constitution of America or whatever the hell they call their freaking First and Second Amendments and all that, um, they're pretty protective of that. You can't make changes to that. Um, you know, Australia has our, our own laws and an individual can't change those laws. It has to be decided by the collective. Um, and if you disobey those laws, you can be imprisoned for a very long time. We haven't got the death sentence here, but the death sentence is in America. I mean, is that similar? I don't think that's the way he's using the term established constitution because he's initially talking about somebody who runs a state just by trying to legislate every problem mm-hmm. out of existence, and I think when he says established constitution, I don't think he's t- he's not thinking about it in terms of what we think of, but like just the constitution of their government, the way that they're running things. They like running it that way. They want to legislate every problem out of existence. They like the power, so they're not going to listen to anyone. That's the way I read it. But my translation uses the word established constitution. I don't know whether yours does. I I think I get what you're saying. So it's not. I guess yeah. I wasn't yeah. My my point of raising the example I raised was to demonstrate that even now, if you take on the established rules, that there are consequences that can include you know in America the death sentence. Um, but I yeah, your point is valid. Like the way that this is describing it is probably not talking about. Um, something like America or Australia, it's probably talking more about a warlord or a, um, some sort of monarchy even. I don't know. Is that what you mean? I think so. Do you, do you guys think there's a danger in that mindset that you can legislate every problem out of existence? Yeah, well... It's, <coughs> Safety. <coughs> Safety. <laughs> it's just not, a, it's not a, a practical way for anybody to live, right? And uh, Which is what he says, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it is, and it also gets back to another point they raised previously, which is about simplicity is something that you should you should aim for, and that there's beauty and simplicity, and that that which is beautiful is you know best and whatever. Um, and and I think you know it's true of anything. You know, um, if you try and invent anything that's got like an overly complicated process, people will never remember it or follow it, right? 
and it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's for work or social or whatever, if there's a really complex process you have to follow, it's going to be too hard. And people by nature will cut it down into something that's manageable for them. And, uh, you know, so if you're going to make too many rules and regulations in your society, people are going to break them because they won't know. Oh, you didn't know you couldn't uh, cross that bridge at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday. You know, there's a particular reason. Oh, I don't know. Now you're in trouble, right? And that's, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's just not going to be a, a productive society if, you, if you've got everybody questioning, what's our goals? What are we trying to achieve here? There's just endless rules that are used like band-aids to patch up every possible scenario under the sun why are we here yeah yeah like i agree yeah. and i think i think plato is is offering an alternative to that which is a good in, a good education and a unifying myth you have those two things you put them together and people will just do what they're supposed to do you won't need those kind of those kinds of tyrants yeah well and i think the point is is that he's, it's it's about purpose and having a purpose and whether that's your function or whether that's the um the knowledge that what you're doing is achieving something for the greater good or whatever it may well be you know that purpose is what's going to drive you towards the the, the state's greatness you know yeah i think so yeah agree all right um yeah after that i think they just say well what about religious laws and they say leave that to the oracle of delphi and then they just kind of move on there's really no discussion there, is there? <laughs> yeah i i kind of cracked up at that though to be honest um i must say like i, I found that funny because he's more or less sort of saying yeah we'll leave that to apollo to decree you know via the delphi or what have you but um just it's interesting given that they've established that noble lie they've kind of given <laughs> yeah. that new sort of mythology that they're trying to lay down there about you you know having divine metals within you and you know blah 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 and sort of <laughs> yeah. to a more monotheistic sort of good god which doesn't isn't really existing in their current doctrine and yet he's sort of like yeah we'll just leave it with apollo and it's like you sure bro because yeah I'm pretty sure and they've, tried, like, and they've, <laughs> and they've also said right oh there. and if you if you bring in new music and literature which yeah. I mean, I'm assuming back then also came from religious art as well. You can sure. disrupt a whole society. Yeah, you're right. And he kind of just glosses over that and goes, yeah, we'll let them talk about that. It's like, ah, I think you're missing something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and look, I think this is just because they're, they're eager to kind of get down to sort of going, you know what? We've sorted this thing out. Let's smack the baby on the bottom and uh, move forward and we can start talking about, you know, what's justice, baby, because we've got this perfect society now. So we'll be able to see what justice is. And, um, yeah, I think he's, yeah, like you said, I think he's keen just to gloss over and get on with it. Yeah, right on. Oh, no, no, I, I, I think that's about right. Because I think um, I haven't read into the next section, but um, it looks like they actually start to talk about justice in the state and justice in the individual going off my thematic titles in my book. So maybe they're about to get into it next week. We'll see. Mm. Ooh, heady days. <laughs> Socrates is a communist. <laughs> uh, I'm just wanting to find... Uh, in book one, where was it? Where does it talk about 
um, where he says, I'm going to go. The first person Who's he's talking go? to is the old guy. Yeah, uh, when Thrasymachus's father they, that yeah. they were talking to. Yeah. Yeah, where, where is that? Well, that's right True. in the beginning of book one. I can't yeah. even remember the dude's name. Polymarchus? No. Um, no? Oh, sorry, it's, Poly- it's uh, Cephalus, and that's Polymarchus's father, actually. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to find that. Um, oh, here we go. Yes, so we are now uh, over an hour into this episode. We are only into book four. We're up to our ninth episode. And mm. um, I think this is why when you read the part uh, which says, I fear, said Cephalus, that I must go now for I have to look after the sacrifices. <laughs> and I hand over the argument to Polymarchus and the company. And then moments later... Uh, Oh, yeah. Is not Polymarchus your heir? I said. To be sure, he answered and went away laughing to the sacrifices. Because <laughs> he knew they were in it. <laughs> they were stuck in it. He's laughing at us. That guy's laughing at us because he knew he just started something. He's going to walk away now and we're nine hours in and we're not even halfway through. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an old and mature man talking to a bunch of middle-aged men yeah. going... <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm out of here, suckers. Because <laughs> there is 10 books. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> or... <laughs> <laughs> it just occurred to me then. I'm like, oh my gosh, that guy, he knew what he started. He left early. He started laughing. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, I could just say, if I could just say real quick, I think if I had just read through this book myself, I would. there's no way I would have got as much out of it as I am. Uh, arguing yeah. it with you boys so no, I think sure. it's been good sure. I'm, I'm, I'm actually keen after we finish book 5 uh, for us to do a midway review of where we just have yeah, a discussion right. around what we've got out of it so far and where we think it's going I think that'll be good um, give us a little yeah. break from homework for a week as well <laughs> uh, rock and roll speaking of breaks let's go to the pub for lots of us da 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 I still have a jingle. (laughs) I have time this week, which is our our topic. So somehow, um, the planets have aligned, and all three of us are actually on holidays this week. And we don't live within five kilometers of each other, so we don't need an outdoor place for a a four-hour picnic or whatever the latest regulations are. Yeah, we're in different LGAs. Yeah, that's right. So I, I'm putting a proposal in the government to make the Blacktown LGA all of Sydney. Um, <laughs> I don't think it'll be accepted, but I'm going to give it a go. Tim, don't stop them, mate. They're going to legislate COVID out of existence. They can do it. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, we have so, enough band-aids. <laughs> so I'm thinking some Xboxing will be in order. Um, so uh, I downloaded that Ascent game and I had mm. a go and I like you. It's, I said to one of you guys that, um, or maybe both of you, it's uh, like Blade Runner meets Diablo mm. 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 and it's good. Yeah, I'm going to have another go at it. I, uh, I, I piked out because I found the, uh, the start of it too hard and I think Rubes pointed out to me, he said, yeah, the first mission kind of 
it, it's uh, kind of tough but once you get through it that it tests your metal yeah it tests your metal yeah. it's like you really want yeah. to do this because you know we're not interested we don't want you to play our game if you can't get through the first level yep <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I already rage quit and got out so <laughs> the, the, the running and aiming with both thumbsticks is yeah. really cool it reminds me of playing Hunter on Diablo um Mm. so yeah i was like this is good this is this is real good so i don't understand the loot entirely yet and i don't understand how to cycle between some of my powers um sometimes they just proc and i'm like oh, did i do that or did it does it happen on a timer I, <laughs> i'm not yeah. quite sure how some of it works uh and i accidentally wandered to some level 17s when i was level four managed to kill two of them before i died i was like well that's not too bad i think but um, that's good fun man it's there's it, that's a big game that's a deep game when you see how big those maps are hmm. uh it's it's got it's got me i'm gonna play that right. I'll, right, well, I'll, I'll give it another that later this week yeah yeah uh anything else we're gonna play if is there a forza we can play all together uh for sure I, 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 i'm still happy to jump on forza i haven't played it for a little while but um I'm just hanging out for the new one because it's uh, going to be here. What's November, right? So it's not too far off. Mm. So um, that's going to be exciting. You still got Falls of Rubes on on your Xbox, Falls of Four? Oh mate, it's it never goes. I'm, if, if it was up to me, I'd have all of them installed just so I could go for a drive in Italy one day and in Oz Australia outback in the other. But I just don't have that much hard drive space. But yeah, no, I've got <laughs> it still on. Yeah, I um in the latest the English one. I've just got, I've got four Triumph TR7s. <laughs> I saw one today, would you believe? A real one? A real one. Oh yeah, my yeah, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I wish you'd be able to get a photo uh, of that regular wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that with the kids on bikes and uh, yeah, someone blitzing it out on their, uh, on their Sunday drive. So was it a four cylinder one? Uh, it certainly didn't sound like a V8, but maybe they weren't gassing it. I don't know. I was at a little bit of distance, so uh, mm. I didn't get a, a super close look. Nice. I'm not too sure. I would have either. I would have the four-cylinder or the V8. I really don't care. I just want to have one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need to... It's a, uh, tri- it's a Triumph TR7 for people who are listening, yeah? Yes, it's a it's very... Like, it looks, kind of looks like a doorstop. It does. It's all sort of wheels. It's like um, the front half of Elon Musk's Cybertruck missing the back half. <laughs> don't call it a wedge for nothing. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that Cybertruck yeah. looks hot, by the way. I've, I was watching some video footage of it on YouTube today. Mm. Hmm. I'm not convinced. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't love the look of it, but uh, I just saw the actually the competitor, the the Rivian, um, just had their. Um, Cybertruck, um, the first one off the production line today. Mm. So they've sort of beat Tesla to the market with a uh, with an e truck. Nice. So, um, mm, be interesting. Have you got your new car on the way yet, Ruben? I'm thinking about cancelling the order. Oh, really? What? Yeah, no, they they keep backing it off a month here, month there. Oh, shipping, like I can wait. That's not the not a big deal, but. 
I kind of wanted it because I wanted to take it on holidays. It's a big car. We can fit the family in it. We can fit family and friends in it. We can go for a drive, you know, cruise. <laughs> None of those things you can do at the moment. <laughs> I can't. We can't. You can't do it. I can't go 5Ks. What's the point? I might as well wait and get it next year. Like, really? What's the point in getting it now? Not to mention, I mean, like when flu season hits next year, are we just going to be back to square one? Am I just wasting my money at this stage? So, I don't know. Maybe I'll get it. Maybe I won't. I'll think about it. Mate, you probably still need the order in now so that you can get it next year because uh, the way <laughs> yeah, things go. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah. true. It was uh, it was supposed to be here at the end of August, and now they've said October, maybe. You know what's a great? Mm. You know what's a great family car? <coughs> a Tirana. <laughs> Let's get a Tirana. <laughs> have you seen? Have you seen the height of my eleven-year-old? I can't fit him in a Tirana. You fit in a Tirana. You have two Tiranas. <laughs> <laughs> or a charger get a, get a valiant you fit in a valiant <laughs> yes all these things are too expensive though Tim it's cheaper to buy a new car than to buy one of those so. yeah you're not wrong it's gone it stupid. is yeah. yeah well we'll wrap it up there gentlemen it's been fun um, let's uh, get our reading ready for the second half of book four I think it's going to be a cracker I accidentally read ahead by about two paragraphs and I was really, really liking it. So, and then I realized, oh, hang on a minute. All right, cool, cool. So, yeah. All right, well, um, if you're listening, thanks for uh, tuning in. And remember, the Republic wasn't built in a day, and neither are middle-aged men. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Have a good week. Peace. Cheers.